Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks, where we talk to people who broke free of the corporate world's shackles to start their own business. I'm your host, Neil Thompson, official corporate shackle breaker. You know, I've gotten a lot of requests to shorten the theme music. It's about 45 seconds, but every time I even think about doing it, I just can't. It's not so lovely. I love it so much. Every time, sometimes I don't even want to start talking because I want that music to keep going. Anyway, you can find this podcast on my website, neilthompsonspeaks.com, or you can find me on iTunes or Stitcher. Please subscribe and share. Even though today is Halloween, there's nothing scary about what Carlton Crothers knows about business. He's currently the CEO of Emerge Memphis, a tech incubator that serves the Mid-South. He has almost 20 years of experience bringing early-stage companies to market. His career has spanned many industries, nanotechnology, software, oil and gas, you name it. I'm interested to talk to Carlton about his career, his work at Emerge Memphis, and his views on entrepreneurship. Let's bring him in now. Hello, Carlton. Welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks. Good afternoon, Neil. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. First question, as a child, what did you want to be when you grow up? Well, you know, uh, that's a great question. As, as a child, I always wanted to be an engineer. Uh, and to produce new products uh, and new things. Even at an early age, I wanted to learn how things were made and how they operated. Not until later in my adult life did I want to know what made customers or consumers want and buy the things that they do in the market. Wow, you thought all that when you were a kid, huh? I just wanted to be a fireman. (laughs) <laughs> you have some pretty interesting ideas already. You know, it's, you know, Carlton, it's always interesting when someone says great question because I always think if they don't say great question, maybe they thought it was a stupid question. Oh, I, I totally agree. The question is, I believe, the key to success, or I should say asking the right question and being able to answer it. And it's kind of ironic how as children we're easily able to ask and answer why. I don't know if you have children, but uh, I do, and one of the things that uh, children nag their parents is that simple question, why, mommy, why, daddy, why, why, why? Well, that why is very important to not only what drives people in the marketplace and, and buy the things that they buy, but it also elicits the behavioral change needed for companies to be successful. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's not just kids that ask why. You know, adults ask why, too, especially ones that work at companies. If your boss asks you to do something and you don't agree with it, you, you're going to want to find out why he wants you to do it the way he wants you to do it. We always kind of push that on kids. <laughs> so what was your first Yes. What was your What was your first job outside when your first adult job? Well, you know, I've always been in technology and I first started in the oil and gas business and then went through the ups and downs and uh in the uh early to mid 90s I decided to get out of the oil and gas business and and go back to school went back and got my MBA and I wanted to truly understand why companies or corporations behave the way they did in order to attract, uh, maintain and secure new customers. So I, I was really always intrigued about that. And so I went, as my engineering friends would tell me in the past, uh, I went to the dark side, the marketing side (laughs) And and so that's that's what got me interested in entrepreneurship specifically. Uh, and you know it's it's kind of ironic how your corporate shackles breaker uh, theme that you have in the beginning. In fact, my first foray uh, into entrepreneurship was entrepreneurship. And. For your listeners, the the only difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is who pays your bills. As an entrepreneur, you are responsible for everything, right? You have to pay for yourself. You have to pay for all of your activities. But as an entrepreneur, you work in a corporation. And as an entrepreneur, you are able to create new products, uh, new processes, and new services. Interesting. Go a bit more into the whole entrepreneur idea. So, as an entrepreneur, you have the. Are you given the freedom to create those processes? I'm, I'm assuming you still have a boss you need to clear all that with. Yes. So, my first project coming out of MBA school uh, actually was in the in the area of digital cameras. I would like to ask your your audience uh, one simple question. What company was the first consumer digital camera manufacturer? And I'll give you a hint. It, it's not a Japanese company. Not a lot Japanese of people company. will say, well, it was Kodak, or, or they'll come back with a you know, Canon or Sony. And, a, and the answer to that question is Apple. And for whatever reason, I have not been able to find anyone to answer that question correctly. And if you look back, it was in 1994 that Apple came out with the first consumer digital camera, and it was called a Quick Take 100. It was an ugly beast. Uh, it was gray. <laughs> it was not a pretty color. It was large. It was uh, about the size of two large uh, male hands and about an inch, a little over an inch thick. And the reason why most people cannot answer that question correctly is that in history it shows that 
uh, Apple uh, was not very successful in that camera, uh, introducing that digital camera. But when they brought that camera and showed it to the Japanese electronics show, the Japanese uh, manufacturers just went crazy and said, that is the product that we want to focus on. So in 1995, uh, they came out with a much smaller, much slimmer and sleeker design. And then in 96, they came out even with a smaller, much smaller and much thinner design. However, the consumers were not jumping on the bandwagon and buying this new thing called the digital camera. And if you remember back in 1994 to 1996, yes, the resolution of the camera was worse than a Polaroid camera of the time, but that was not the reason why consumers were not buying this new digital camera. So, Mitsui, the parent company that that had hired me, was tasked to find out why was it that the consumers were not buying this thing in record numbers. Well, we found out why. The reason for that was the software. It was not the hardware, but the software. The software at that time was too difficult to use, and so you wouldn't have an a large adoption of the camera, okay, because very few people knew about software and they couldn't manipulate the images easily like you can today. So what Mitsui did was we partnered with a Canadian company called MGI and we licensed the technology. We ported the, that software uh, to the Japanese OS, bundled it with the camera, and, of course, the rest is history. Wow, that's 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 a pretty interesting story. I had no idea that Apple released a, a digital camera in 1994. Then again, I didn't even have a Polaroid camera. I didn't have a camera at all. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have nothing. <laughs> I, I, owned nothing. <laughs> I owned absolutely nothing. I was right. a teenager in 1994. <laughs> I know a job. <laughs> yeah, but, but so, look at the teenagers so, and even uh, kids today. They are wielding a smartphone. And they use that as their predominant camera, correct? Yes. And, and, the, and the irony to the digital camera industry was that in, in, uh, in 2014 was the first year that the consumer digital camera market started to decline. And then in this year, if you uh, Google consumer digital camera, you will see many articles describing how the Apple iPhone destroyed the consumer digital camera market. Very interesting story. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look that up. Well, the people that, that tend to listen to this podcast, Carlton, they're, they're thinking about starting their own businesses, but there's certain things that are holding them back. And, and one of the issues that I think a lot of reluctant entrepreneurs come across, especially at first, is the fear of, of leaving their, their, their corporate jobs and starting their own businesses. Now, these are obviously entrepreneurs, not the entrepreneurs that you were speaking about earlier that are doing you know, entrepreneurial-type work within a company structure. These are the people that actually leave the whole company structure altogether and start their own business. But they're, they're fearful of that. So in, just, in, in your opinion, what are ways that people could get past that fear or Okay, well, um, as you said uh, earlier in your show, questions are the key, okay? And so you have to look at entrepreneurship 
like a career, okay? And you have to really hone in on the behavior of not only yourself, but you have to focus on your customer and your market. There's a lot of things that are communicated on the net as well as uh, in blogs throughout the Internet in regards to entrepreneurship. And one of the key focus areas is if you, if you identify a pain and you find a solution to resolve that pain, you've got a winning business model. And I hate to say it, but that is farthest from the truth. And, and I'll, I'll give you two examples. One, if we lived uh, on a planet, uh, Vulcan, for instance, uh, you have Spock and all of his, his uh, friends and family, then I would say that, yes, if you identify a pain and you create the best product for the lowest cost, then, yes, you would command the market. But unfortunately, we do not live on the planet Vulcan, and humans don't necessarily make rational, logical decisions. In fact, their behavior is irrational. And so that is the problem, is that most of the uh, people who talk about entrepreneurship look at it as if we live on the planet Vulcan and not on the planet Earth. So how do you overcome the fear? Well, the fear is that you have to be able to ask the right questions and to identify some of those uh, very enlightening answers. So there are six main themes that you have to go through. The first is you know, need to know who your customer really is. And I don't, I'm not talking about in a demographics way about whether they're male or they're female, whether they're white or they're not or if they're poor, or if they have uh, high income status. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the behavior that they exhibit in the market that you want to get into or the behavior that they exhibit in the space that you want to create. So everything is about behavior. Why? Because we live on the planet Earth with humans, and humans are a behavioral machine, more specifically an irrational behavioral machine. So first, you need to know who your customer is. Second, what can you do for your customer? Not what can you give them or sell to them, but what can you do in a behavioral context? Third is how does your customer acquire your product? Not saying that you acquire via mail or through social media or whatever. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the behavior that drives consumption, okay? Fourth, how do you make money off your product? This is one of the key components that is one of the, the hardest things for an entrepreneur to focus on. And if you use the right tool, I don't understand why it's so hard. And I'll come back to that later. And then fifth, how do you design your product? Just saying that it has the best features for the lowest cost does not necessarily mean that you're going to command the market. It's kind of like if you build it, they will come. That does not work, and that really doesn't work when you're trying to build products. Because look at back in the day when there were uh, video um, recording devices called VCRs. 
there was a big war between Sony Betamax and VHS. Unfortunately, VHS was an inferior product technically in both audio and and in sound. However, they dominated the video recording market, okay? And Sony lost out. Finally, how do you scale your business? This is very important if you want to grow your business more than a simple life uh, company. Um, And what I mean by that is there's nothing wrong with a lifestyle company. It's how large can you create that. So if you create a a business that sustains you and a family member and maybe a couple of family members, that is great. That's awesome. But if you're wanting to create another Google or another Apple, it requires a different methodology in going after the market, how you communicate to the market, and how you develop relationships within the market. That's all very interesting. I've never really thought of, of, of entrepreneurship this way before. You're right. Most, I think most people that talk about entrepreneurship just basically say you address the pain that, that people feel, but you're, you're absolutely right. People are... Are, are irrational. We're, we're seeing that in in this in this election cycle right now. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about behavior, right? And, yeah. and that's one of the key things that we at Emerge focus on. Yes, you know your technology has to work. Yes, it has to be a, at least a minimum viable product. But no, it does not have to be the best thing since sliced bread. I mean. Let's look at uh, the Apple iPhone, for instance. Okay, if you look at the basic phone features, there are other smartphones that have better screens, better cameras, more memory, more battery life. Okay, so technically speaking, the physical features and benefits of the phone is inferior to other smartphones out on the market. However, if you look at the company and the way they communicate and they engage with consumers, they are so successful that they, last year in 2015, profited, and this is money in the bank after you pay off all your bills, in the tune of 50, that's five zero billion with a B dollars in their pocket in 2015. 50 billion, the highest profit of any company to this date in one year. That's phenomenal. That's getting the math right, or I should say understanding. And unfortunately, Steve is no longer with us at Apple, but he truly understood that in order to be a successful company, you have to understand that it, everything is about behavior. It's not about the technology. It's not about the gizmo or the features, it's about behavior. I mean, look at back at the iPod when it first came out, okay? If you remember way back in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, people were listening to music with these things called a Walkman. And the Walkman was sold primarily by Sony, and Sony commanded the consumer electronics market. <clears throat> and then some genius... Uh, came up with an idea of, hey, why don't we 
try to strap the CDs uh, on people's hips and biceps. Well, I don't know about you, but trying to stick something circular or square on your hip or your biceps is not very comfortable, but a small rectangle is. And then another guy came up with the idea of, hey, let's miniaturize hard drives so we could replace the cassette player on the Walkman, okay? And out came the MP3 player market. And so in the 90s, there were MP3 players everywhere. And every company, even companies that should not have been in MP3 player manufacturing business, made them or branded them. Okay, and so what was the differentiator of all the different players on the market? Well, one was black, one was shiny, one was made out of all metal, one was made out of plastic and metal. One had screens, one had multiple screens, single buttons, multiple buttons. One could record 250 songs, 1,000 songs, 10,000 songs, okay? <clears throat> then all of a sudden, a company out of nowhere comes out and within a couple of years decimates the MP3 player market that was dominant up until then. So what happened? Why did a company that was never in the music business, specifically, i.e., made computers, was so successful in decimating an established industry with, you know, many, many dozens of companies, electronic giants that commanded that industry. And here was this little computer company that decimated it. Well, it was very simple. Once again, back to your statement earlier in the show, you have to ask the right question. And what was the question people forgot to ask in the MP3 player market? Well, they forgot to ask, why do people listen to music? Okay? It's not about how many songs you could cram into an MP3 player or what it looked like. Okay? So they forgot to ask that question. But when Apple first released their first iPod commercial, I'm sitting there watching the TV, and all of a sudden, the screen goes completely white. And then all of a sudden, you see these silhouettes, black silhouettes of young people dancing, having fun. And then there's a, and there's a great tune in the background. And you're thinking, oh, I like it. And you're getting into the, the, the music. And, and all of a sudden, you see these white things coming out of their ears. And then you see this little white thing in their hand. And you're thinking, what is that? But I like it. it it sounds great, you know, and, and then you're thinking, oh, I want to be like them. I want to have fun. So that is why Apple decimated the MP3 player market. And, in fact, yes, you can still buy an MP3 player market, but when you have less than 2% of the market, that's really not a market, okay? <laughs> that's a hobby. And so that's what I'm talking about is, you know, with Steve Jobs and Apple, they and he understood what it means to command a market with either a product or service. It's about the behavior, and it's always about behavior. Why? Because we live on a planet called Earth in which Earthlings are humans, not Vulcans. That, that is, that's definitely true. So... Tell us a bit about Emerge Memphis. What exactly, as a, a tech incubator, what do you provide the companies that fall under Emerge Memphis? Okay, so 
when when you hear of an incubator, you know, people think, oh, what is that? And and some people will have enough exposure to know that when you say a tech incubator or a business incubator, it's basically a, an organization that helps companies develop and grow, okay? So that's very, very general. And so if you look and you Google incubators or accelerators on on the Internet and you – and you, you find there are tens of thousands of them, okay? And how we're different is that we don't look at entrepreneurs or startups in the same way that other organizations look at them. The way we look at them is we study the behavior of the market and the consumer, and we focus on behavior. Why? <laughs> because... Once again, we're not dealing with, you know, people called Vulcan. No, we're all human, and we're all irrational machines. And what is irrationality? It's a behavioral component, okay? And so you have to address the market, and you have to address the people within the market in a behavioral context. And so, yes, we work, we help companies establish a base set of technologies that as the features and the benefits. But if I was a consumer and let's say you are a manufacturer of a product, trying to convince me to buy your product because it meets some kind of minimum standard is, is almost like a slap in my face. It's a rhetorical statement. Because why? Because it better do that at least or why even be here to start a conversation? But you can't just talk about the products and features, I mean the benefits and features of a product, because it will not enhance me or make me want to adopt that technology or use it, all right? Because the first thing that's going to come to mind when you start naming some features and benefits is like, well, prove that to me, or I need to think about that. I wonder what other companies can provide that service or produce that product. So we look at the behavior and we reteach entrepreneurs things that were taught to them uh, through, through grade school, high school, and even college that are not wrong per se. It's just an inefficient mechanism in trying to get the market to behave the way you want them to behave, i.e. pushing the buy button. You know, like the Staples button? I call it the buy button. And so every entrepreneur's main focus and main objective is changing consumers' behavior to push the buy button. That is what you should be focusing on and not the thing. Because why? The problem with the thing is everyone has an opinion, okay? And trying to command everyone's opinion in thinking the same way is almost an impossible task. But if you look at it in a behavioral context, kind of like Starbucks, for example, versus McDonald's, then you can look at something and say, wow, why is it that Starbucks can charge a buck fifty to two dollars and fifty cents more for the same cup of coffee than McDonald's. Why is it that 
there is not a tip container at McDonald's, but there is at a Starbucks. So what does that mean? That means that you are able to monetize your product or service at a different stage in the buying cycle, okay? And then finally, you know, I'm sure you've been in a McDonald's and I'm sure you've been in a Starbucks. Now, think back when you were in the McDonald's and you're waiting in line and let's say it's rush hour and people are getting closer and closer to you and there are more and more people coming into the, uh, into the fast food establishment. And then all of a sudden you look at this person to your right and you're think, thinking, oh, my goodness, that person is trying to cut in my line. And, and your blood pressure is starting to go up. And then all of a sudden you're starting to feel a little bit of this emotion called anger and you're thinking, ah, I'm not going to let that person get in front of me. Now, let's now look at the same behavior at a Starbucks. Okay, you're standing in line. You're waiting to be uh, serviced. Same thing's happening. Rush hour. More and more people are starting to come into Starbucks. And, but this time, you don't feel that anger. You're in a different mind space. This time, you're thinking, oh, please, let me step aside so you could come out and uh, come over and cut in line so you can look at the products that are beautifully displayed on the shelves next to me. You see the difference? I definitely that see is- the difference. This, is, this has been a lot of, uh, of great information. I can't believe the 30 minutes has already passed by. I mean, you, we've, you, we've covered quite a bit. Again, uh, thank you so much for, for taking time to be on Neil Thompson's Speak Carlton. I'm sure myself and the audience greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you, Neil, for having me on your show. Well, everyone, that is the end of today's episode of Neil Thompson Speaks. To learn more about me, please visit neilthompsonspeaks.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There are links from my website to those social media channels, in addition to a link to this podcast on my website as well. Until next time, please take care.